0: Well, good evening, everyone. It is so good to see you here tonight as we are getting close to the end. One more week of 1 Samuel, of breaking it down. I hope, hope it's been a good uh, Bible study as far as how to break down a, a book of the Bible other than just, quote, just reading it. Uh, being able to to take the character's and especially in a book like this where you can take all the characters and be able to piece together what is actually going on and actually start to see ourselves and to see uh, how God is, is working in this. And so understand when we talk about the Old Testament, the Old Testament is just the New Testament concealed. So it's always about the same person. It's about Jesus It's always headed toward the same destiny, which is Christ being King. But history has to walk itself out, and as it walks itself out, it keeps unfolding these mysteries, even from the law, even from Moses, even from all the different stories that we find. And so tonight, we're going to get the closest we come to seeing this picture. Because David is our final character other than Christ as King. In fact, he is considered the son of David. He is considered from the lineage as God will promise David that from your bloodline, the Messiah will come or from your lineage. And so tonight we we get to the final part of this First Samuel. And I was asked before service, which David are you preaching on? And that's a fair question because... David's story has so many ups and downs, it has so many moments, you could take parts of his life and break them down and actually show him as a bad guy, or show him as a good guy, or show him as a as, as someone who's acting insane and drilling all over himself and trying to not get killed. He's He's got all these different personality traits, but yet tonight I want to show you what motivates all of them. What pushes all of them. And so tonight we're fixing to jump into David. Uh, and we call David the man or the person with the right heart. So go with me in your Bibles, and, and it seems strange, but we're going to start in 2 Samuel, because this story is the culmination of all of your going to re- study of this diet. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 20 and 21 is our main thought when we break down the life and the understanding and the story of David. So here's we go. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Macall, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all your house and his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. There is something that runs through the vein of David all the way through his life. That at times seems very crude, at times seems very bold, at times seems very scary. But it is this one vein that keeps running that allows us to see the picture of this man. So go with me as we break this down and let's go back to 1 Samuel now. And there's a couple places that I need you to go where we can describe his as other people are going to give you his character. It's one thing when you say, well, this is who I am. It's another thing when you ask someone else, tell me who I am. That's a totally different question. And, and, and part of becoming better is being able to look at someone and say, tell me what you see when you see me. Don't ask somebody who likes you and don't want to lose you as a friend. Ask somebody who is willing to tell you the truth. What do you see when you see me? What, what do you see? And that's an important question because over time, everybody will see it. It's, it's one of the keys to life, is, is understanding that. And David has this mindset that we need to see, but we need to see it through others because it's, it's much more visible. So, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 7, go there with me and let's read about this man, David. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. The man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the... Number one, in your handout tonight, as, as we walk through this, and as, here's the first thing you need to understand about David. David had a different heart. We all think we have that kind of heart until a lion comes out. We all think we have that kind of heart until someone hurts our feelings. We we all think we have that kind of heart until we're nudged or bumped or moved. But when God says to Samuel, listen, listen, don't worry about his big brothers. Don't worry about the other seven of them that have passed before you. Let me tell you something about the man that I'm going to pick. This man has a different heart. Now, some of the skills I'm going to talk about, David, tonight are different. I told you last week, I want to be like Jonathan, right? I want to be like Jonathan. Look at the first beside you and say, you can be a Jonathan. Now, look at the person beside you and said. You may not can be a David. It may not be in your DNA. And I I hate to break it to you. It's it's like when we used to play football. It didn't matter how much somebody tried. Sometimes you're just like, they ain't got it. And, And it didn't matter. They could give twice the effort, work out twice as much, do everything. They just don't have it. So here's the problem with David. Everybody sings about, talks about, I want to be like David. I want to be like David. And to some degree, all of us can because we can turn our gifts and our abilities over to God and he can maximize them to the degree. But we need to understand there are certain times when there are Moses's and there are David's and there are Daniel's and there are people. And you may be one of these people tonight. And I hope that you are. I hope my church is full of them. But the fact is they are unique people because their heart does not work the way everybody else his heart works. They don't love the same things you love and they don't die for the same things everybody else dies for. They don't get frustrated by the stuff that you get frustrated about and they don't care about most of the junk you talk about. They are very narrow-minded in their mindset. They're very driven in their ability of what they want to do and they accomplish it. Now, this is important to understand because as we understand his character... This is somebody that could never set still and just let the world go by. This is somebody that burning with inside of him, he has to make a difference. That's just the way he's built. Doesn't matter if it's just a few sheep, he's got to make a difference. Doesn't matter if it's a whole nation, he's got to make a difference. Some people are born with a mindset that I was born to add something to this world. Now you can do that corporately. I believe all seasons is doing that. It's touching an enormous amount of people. Who knows all the people? But there are some people that just they just have this narcissistic mindset. I'm special. I'm different. Some of you wake up in the morning. Nobody knows me. Nobody cares. These people wake up. If God don't know nobody, He knows me. The whole world evolves around me No, it doesn't, but they have the closed mindset that God is in the middle of this thing with me I'm not just an excuse, I'm not just a, a mistake I'm not and this is so important because to whatever degree you have to grab this whether it's in a small sense or a large sense and David is someone who has a different heart he's not as big as his brothers, he's not as strong as his brothers he, he he's But there's something about him that's not like Saul. He's not the tallest. He's not the mightiest. But he has a heart that's different. And we'll see it. Go with me to verse 10 through 13. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There yet remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him In now he was ruddy, means he was kind of red-headed, curly-haired. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome. I tell y'all sometimes I'm good-looking. There's nothing wrong with knowing what you are. I know y'all go, "And, and, and it doesn't mean what you think. It just means that I'm comfortable with who I am. Can you be comfortable? If somebody was describing David and they were writing there, so they said, he's a good-looking boy. Had a kind of reddish hair, kind of ruddy looking. He wasn't as big as his brother. He wasn't as built, strong, but good-looking kid. Good-looking good, good looking kid. Beautiful eyes, handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. This, This younger little guy is the guy. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. From that day forward, and Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Number two, because of David's personality, the Spirit of the Lord could easily and mightily rush on him. Not everybody has that personality. Some of y'all feel him sometimes and you grab the pew. You're like, oh man, I feel God. I almost could run. Well, David would not almost. When, when, When God moved on David, David could easily, it was just natural within his personality. Now, some of this you can develop. Remember, I told you, you can enhance. You may not be David. You may not go run down a hill after a giant. But the fact is, is you can run towards your problem. You can run towards your situation better than instead of going, I don't know. You can develop the ability to be courageous. But David naturally built within him... in the the years he had taken care of sheep in the years of being out in the woods and the fields by himself understand his life was his brothers had pretty much written him off he was a younger brother he was going to be the one that stayed home with mom and dad he was going to be the one that took care of the family we were all going to leave and go join the army and do whatever we were going to do but little David was always going to be here to take care of dad and David was always going to be here to take care of everybody else but they didn't understand that by putting him out there and sticking him out there with the wolves and with the lions and with the bears, you weren't making him weaker, you were making him tougher. He wasn't getting weaker out there playing his harp and singing to those few sheep. He was getting stronger. His heart toward God was getting stronger. His tenacity, when it got dark and everybody else was like, man, it's scary out here. David would just start playing and singing and saying, it's all right. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not walk. He had developed within his this structure of fighting, this structure of being outcast. Even when everybody else was invited, his dad said, that won't be the one that's the one that's staying home that's the one that won't ever amount to anything and yet God says that's the one I'm finding that's the one I'm developing some of you in this room listen it's because of your hardships it's because of your difficulties it's because of what you have went through that makes you the fighter that you are it didn't make you weaker it made you stronger This is David's story. So because of his life, because of him out in the field by himself, out there taking care of sheep by himself, doing what he does, it has made him easy for God to move on him. When it moves on him, he, bam! Listen to what it says. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and did this. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Go, go with me to verse 18 now. Verse 18. One of the young men answered, this is Saul who is tormented by this spirit, and now we, he's looking for somebody who can help Saul. This seven foot tall, mighty, nearly 300 plus pound man, this strong man, but yet he's curled up in a ball, crying. And we're trying to find somebody who can help Saul get out of his funk. And listen what he says. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. Where do you see him? Out in the field. He said, In in my travels, in my passing, I've come across somebody. And this little fellow is different. Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in... He said, I've I've sat there and listened to that boy play that harp. I'm telling you, he he has a heart for for just loving on God. He has a heart for it. A man of valor and a man of... How How many fights has David ever been in? Where's he, where's he learning all these skills? With a stick and whatever comes against the sheep. And he's earned the reputation around there that you don't mess with David. He may not be the biggest, but let me tell you that, and I'll tear you up. That one right there gets on you, he won't get off. That is a dynamite in a little package. That's the reputation he's earning. Number one, understand, he is skillful. He has developed the skills that God has given him. Whatever skills you have, develop them to the utmost. Use them to the greatest degree. Don't hide them. They're not yours to just pack away. Use them. Become more skillful. Become better even if you are at what you do. Secondly, he's brave. He's brave. And thirdly, he is a pure warrior. So, on yours, number three, he's skilled, he's brave, and he is a warrior. What else about this this guy? Well, go with me to verse 21. And David came to Saul. And entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor We've heard about armor-bearers. Jonathan had an armor-bearer who went and fought and killed 20 Philistines with him. He has he, he grown now, so he was an, also an armor-bearer. He was, he was someone who was employed because others could trust that in the time of battle, he would not leave them or run from them. He would stand right there. So he became one of Saul's armor bearers, even as a young man. Does this give you a little more picture about this young guy? I know we just always just talk about David, this little guy just run down the hill and start killing giants. Let me explain to you something. David was not a little guy who just ran down the hill and killed a giant. David was somebody who had a different heart. David was somebody who was a warrior, skilled in what he did, was brave in what he did. He was mighty when the Spirit of God came upon him. He was not hesitant. He does not slow down. Whatever God said, move, he moved, and he moved fast. Let's look a little further. Go with me to chapter 17. Now, we'll get to the story of David and Goliath. But I want us not to worry about the story. I want us to worry about the man. Now, it's been about two to three years since he was an armor bearer for Saul. Saul has gone to battle. David has gone back home. And he's continued to do what? And in this time, in the time since he's been anointed and the time he's left in these two to three years, now he's earned more victories. He's killed lions and he's killed bears. He's he's not just killed, beating off some wolves now. He's just not fighting off some dogs. He, he's done got to wear things that come up against him now that you would think, boy, you'd need to run. He says, no. He grabs it by the beard, he says. I grabbed it by the beard and took the sheep away from it and when it growled at me, I tore it apart. That's what he's become. He was already brave. He was already a man of war. He was already skilled. But now, he has spent years developing it. And since he's developed it, it's time to put it on display. It's not not an accident that his dad, Jesse, just happens to tell him, Son, go check on the battle. Go see what's going David didn't say, hey, would it be all right if I go see what's going on? No, he never asked. His dad calls him from the field. His dad says, son, go check on your brothers. Go see how the war's going. It's his father who sends him. But listen, notice this man. Verse 26, and David said to the men, and this is when he gets to the battle and Goliath comes out and Goliath does his... And, and, and David is just standing there watching him. And you got to understand, here's this young boy. The Bible says that everyone else runs and hides in their tents. And David, this young boy, just sitting there like, this is crazy. So he sparks up a conversation with the, with the other men who are kind of standing there. And he's just kind of looking around like, guys. And David said to the men who stood with him, what shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine? And takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Let me tell you something else about David. David was always driven by compassion and need. David was not driven by what he wanted. He was driven by what people needed and the compassion to help them get there. It's very important. What motivates you in the morning? To make another dollar for yourself? Whoop de doo. To get one more something you can add to your life? Whoop de doo. If you're going to be a David, David was driven by only one thing when he woke up who needs me? Jesus in the New Testament is described, He had compassion on them. He had compassion. What's the greatest motivator in your life? I can always tell you, because I can tell you the thing that I take away, it hurts you the most, that's usually your motivator. So David's only motivator it's not life or death. It's not whether he lives or dies. It's not, he, he's not worried. He, he sees this enemy of God. And he says, who needs to go out there and take care of this? He is defiling God. He is talking about our God. He is making fun of our God. And somebody needs to go and put him in his place. Boy, y'all quiet. Y'all never heard this story before? No, y'all heard about David. Maybe not this much about David. Because usually we like to hit the highlights of David. But we don't really take time to know the man. And it's the man that does the exploits, not the exploits that make the man. If you make the right man, exploits will follow. The Bible says signs and wonders follow them that believe. First, you've got to become a what? A believer. Then when you do that, you don't have to make signs and wonders. They just keep following behind you. You know, you're doing the miracle. You just happen to bump in the lady at Walmart. She happened to say she was sick. You happened to pray with her, and you walk away, and you, she, she meets you next time. And she said, you know what, after, I, after you pray for me, man, my, my fever broke and everything, you just happened to come along because you were the right person at the moment. And David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done with this uncircumcised and, and that he should defy? Verse 27, and the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. He said, You don't have to pay taxes anymore. You get to marry Saul's daughter. You get all this kind of cash. Man, I'm telling you, there's a big reward out there. He goes through, they go through the litany. Your family don't have to pay taxes. You get to marry a good-looking woman who's rich and, and everything's gonna be good. All you gotta do is go out there and kill that dude. Well, how come y'all hadn't done that? you know, it just doesn't. Just hadn't struck us right. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? Understand, I need you to see the character of David. And it comes best from where? Where? Other people. When people tell me, well, this, this is who I am, I don't ever believe them. I'll just tell you. So if you ever walk into, well, this is what I do. I don't believe nothing you're telling me. Because it's what other people say about you, other people who know you, and intimately know you, who tell the truth. Eliab's grew up with him all his life. He's known him since he was born. He's like this little ruddy looking baby brother of mine. I'm telling you, my baby brother. And I've got two baby brothers. And and they got skills that I don't have. And I I know how that irritates you sometimes. Trent could throw a football forever. He could could tear a three-wheeler apart and put it back together and do all this kind of stuff. And I'm trying to pass math. We all have our skills. We all have our abilities. We all have our and we can, we can envy those abilities and skills and, and use them as, as, as weapons. Or we can embrace them. Well, Eliab doesn't want to embrace them. He wants to put him back in his place. So he describes him. Ultimately, he describes him, but he does it with a slant of his anger. Listen to what he says. Now, Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? In other words, you got a place. You got a place, you got a job, you got a role. Why did you leave your place and come up here to my place? You already have a position. you got a lowly little position of taking care of those sheep, and that's your job. Now, why don't you go back to it? Now, Eliab was there when Solomon poured the the oil on his head. He knows the decree that Solomon says that that you're going to be, Samuel says, you're going to be the next king. So Eliab knows that, but yet... mm -mm. That's who you've always been. That's who you will always be to me. Who'd you leave those few little sheep with coming up here with us? Notice the two things he describes about him. Now, know your, I know your presumption. Anybody have a different word in their Bible for it? Pride. I know your pride, your arrogance conceitedness I, I i know your 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 haughtiness you always walk around like you whoop somebody you always acting like you on top you always act like you winning and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the you come down because you just want to see somebody fight. You just come down because you just want to see somebody get whooped. And to a certain degree, that would have sounded correct because later, he cannot build the temple of God. Solomon, his son, has to because of why? Because he's a man of war. He's a, he's, you're a bloody man. You like whooping things. So to a certain degree, he is speaking the truth. But the problem is, he's speaking it out of anger and he's missing David's heart. David was driven by need. Number five, David was driven by need. A warrior does not just become a warrior. A warrior only needs a fight, a cause. The warrior is already in him. It's already there. He just needs a place for God to put him on the field. Going back to those references of, of football and things, there were certain guys that, that they may not have been the most talented. They may not have been the most strong. But the coach would always say, we got to get him on the field, man. I'm telling you, that dude just gets at it. dude just, he just, why? Because there's some people, they're driven so hard. And David, when he saw a need, it's like, It's like a shark blacking out his eyes. It's like, I don't see nothing anymore. I'm attacking what's in front of me. And David had this mentality. But it was driven not because he wanted to see people die, because he wanted to see people freed. like a parent sometimes when we correct our children and we're like, you need to do this, 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 this and, and, and they think we're, we're driven by you just don't like me. No, I just want so desperately to see you succeed. Well, this is David. David is, is, is this driven, and if you look at him, you think, why are you mad? I'm not mad. I'm just very serious right now because what I want to see is you free." And his brother sees it as, you just want to come down here and embarrass me. No. And the other thing is, number six, he was confident, self-confident, but he was not conceited. He was loaded with self-confidence because, understand, we just described who he was, his personality, his character, the way he was built. It was just in him. It's like one of the craziest things you'll ever do is go to one of these seminars where somebody who's successful and stuff is selling their book and they're going to teach you how to be successful. Let me explain this to you. You probably don't have their DNA. You can learn some skills from them. But you're probably not going to be Donald Trump. You're probably not going to sleep four hours a night and wake up ready to go. And you're driven every day. Marriage? Eh. Kids? Eh. I got to get there. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying most of us will never be driven by anything that strongly. And the thing is, we admire that. We hear people write books about that. But you're just not going to show up one day and say, could you show me and teach me how you do what you do? You can't. No more than I can teach a pastor how to do what I do. How to love it the way I love it. How, how, to, how to go without sleep and how to, how to, how to work 16 hours and how to, to, to build when you don't, just, just because you see the need. And you can't sleep and you can't get away from it and it won't leave you alone because there's a need. So let me show you the difference then between confidence and being conceited. Let me give you the definitions first. You can write these somewhere on your paper. Being confident is just simply comfortable in your own skin. You just are who you are. You have certain skills, certain abilities. Don't have certain skills, don't have certain abilities. But you're comfortable with the ones that you have. You've grown comfortable being able to do what you can do with what God's given you. Some of us spend most of our life wishing we had other people's stuff. Wishing we didn't have the ones we got. There's certain things that I like about myself. There's certain things I don't like, but there just it is who it is. I wish I was an extrovert. I think, man, how many more people I could win? Man, how much more stuff I could do if I was an extrovert? If I loved being out there, if I loved, yeah, 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 yeah. i just live at Walmart. i just go down there and just see people come to my church. Today. Oh, so-and-so, I'm going to get out of my car and go find them. Hey, why do not you been in church? And i just go back and wait for the next person I know. Oh, there's so-and-so. And I just, I'm not an extrovert. I get out of my car and I see somebody coming in. Oh, there's so-and-so. Man, I just need peanut butter. I don't need to talk right now. I'd love to change that. There are certain parts of my personality I can't change. That's okay. I'm good with it. There's some things I really like about me. But being comfortable in just who you are And still moving and still going. If you get too uncomfortable with it, you're going to stop. If you get too uncomfortable, you're going to pull back. You're going to quit. You're going to sew up. Be comfortable with who you are, where God has put you. David had this ability to be comfortable. He was comfortable when he was taking care of sheep. He didn't fuss and complain about that. He he was comfortable when Samuel poured the oil on his head. He was comfortable with that. Went back to taking care of sheep. Uh, Was comfortable when he killed Goliath. Was comfortable when he got to go to the house of Saul. Was still comfortable when Saul was throwing spears at him and trying to chase him around and kill him. He's still comfortable in his own. He's like, I don't know what else to do. I'm being who I'm supposed to be. I hadn't done anything wrong. I'm just David. And to get through life and all that God wants, you've got to be comfortable in your own skin. Because if you're not, the first time something happens, what did I do? Why don't people like me? What's wrong with me? You'll start beating yourself to death. The enemy won't have to do it. Let me just say I'm sorry for whatever gift God didn't give you. You can talk to Him about it when you get to heaven. But for right now, you're just going to have to live with it and work around it and make the most of it. And use gifts you got to the utmost. That's what David does. To be conceited is just to exaggerate. That's all. You'll meet people who exaggerate the opinion of themselves. They want you to see them as something that they're not. They want to personify something that they can't be. So you can only see glimpses of them every now and then because if you stayed around them too long and you hung around them too long and you were with them too long, you would find them out. So they can't let that happen. I know there's nobody in this room, but you can write this down and it'll help you with somebody you know is like this. They appear self-confident. They come across as self-confident. It looks the same. But understand, David's motives are different. David's purpose is different. David's agenda is different. They'll look confident outwardly, but deepwardly they're skeptical inward of who they are and what defines them and what they're really supposed to be. You can be a millionaire, You you can be a poorest person in America, you can be any of this. Wealth has nothing to do with it. Life has no status has nothing to do with it. It's an inward battle. What defines them? It's it's a struggle with the insecure person that they are. And because of it, they overcompensate. You know, we used to pick on people like that when they got 40 and 50 years old and they go buy a red Corvette or something. and We'd say, uh, he must be having a midlife crisis. Why? Because he's trying to overcompensate for some deficiency or something that ain't... He's trying to, to deflect, or she's trying to deflect... And so we look at that person because they're conceited, because the more we hang around them, we're like, that's not you. That's, that's not your story. You may say it, but you are not living it out. So let's look at how that looks in situations. And y'all are quiet. So let's look at four moments that tell which is which accepting compliments for a confident person the answer is thank you now that may even be hard because because it's much easier to not want attention to deflect it and and to and to say no no it's 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 but what you eventually learn is thank you is the answer that you just have to say whether you truly believe it or don't believe it here's what you're saying by saying thank you you're just saying that I respect the opinion that you give that's all you're saying. You're not saying it's true or not, but you have viewed me, and so thank you. If that's what you see, thank you. I remember Ronnie McCarty helped me with that so much because I would, I would, and I still pick on you know not being the smartest, not being this, and, and and I don't ever want to come across. But but there's a certain amount when you accomplish or you do or you, and somebody says, "Man, you did good." Well, you know, I got yeah. the word, and Ronnie would tell me, he'd say, "Tim, I thank or Pastor, the word you're looking for is thank you." And that stuck with me. So the word you're looking for. And I used to think, I ain't the word I'm looking And then later it's like, yeah, I guess that's the word. Whether it's true or not, that's what I had to come. It, it has nothing to do. It's, it's what's, Because if I don't say that, then I'm telling you your opinion is flawed. And you don't see things well. And I'm disrespecting you by not just saying thank you. Now on the other side a conceited person you're going to kind of catch them at different times kind of kind of give you that look they're going to they're going to say something like this I know I'm just joking I'm just joking I'm just They'll usually say something like that quick and then try to backtrack out of it But really deep down there's a part of them that thinks I know I know I know I did it I know it was me and so, those are the ways you might catch in compliments. When, when when admitting wrong, a confident person will admit it. It's hard. It's hard for anybody. They will admit they're wrong, but here's the difference: they're open to change. Not only do they say, "Well, I'm sorry if I did," "I'm sorry if I did something to hurt your feelings," but then they don't walk out the door. They pull up a chair and they say, "What needs to change?" That's the difference. Because being able to say when I'm wrong or when it isn't working, a confident person can just admit, hey, I may have saw it wrong. Hey, it may have come out wrong. Hey, it may have been done wrong. Hey, it may have... What can we change? A conceited person, this this is hard to do too. The problem is it's very hard to do because here's the key. Vulnerability is scary to them. The fear of being vulnerable to people is much scarier than the act of saying, I'm sorry, or changing. There's some of you in this room that you know people, they will look at you and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did that. But there's never any vulnerability. It's only a word, and then if you say anything else, look, I've said I'm sorry, can we just get past that? I said I'm sorry, what more do you want? Like I said, I know there's nobody in here like that. I'm just telling you, you may know people in your community and you can help them. But this is hard for all of us. The only reason I can teach this to you is because God teaches it to me. So you understand that it's hard to do that for a for a conceited person because it's very hard to come down and be vulnerable to someone, to let someone in, to let someone manipulate or change some part of me that needs to be changed. David has the ability to be confident, but not overconfident where it becomes... To, even when the women are singing, oh, David kills his ten thousands and Saul kills his thousands. It bothers Saul... But it doesn't inflate David. David doesn't yeah, that's right, y'all sing it. Sing it. Hit it again. No. He's just like, okay. But Saul, when he hears it, because it's conceit, it offends him. And he immediately sees an enemy. Number three, when carrying yourself A confident person, my mom used to say all the time, head up, shoulders back, Tim. Walk like you're somebody, son. Act like you're somebody. And she wasn't saying act like you're better than anybody. But what she's saying is a confident person has to have a certain level of head up, head high, shoulders back. They see others well. When, when you're carrying yourself, you're able to see the needs of others well. It's one of the greatest things that I get. It's, it's like this Sunday. It's, it's, it's as soon as I get through preaching, you think, well, that's Pastor Lot, Man, Pastor Lot just got through preaching. You don't need it. And I have like five or ten people that come up here, and that doesn't bother me a bit because one of them says, hey, I got some pipes that need to be fixed. And I'm like, man, we need to get to this, and I go find somebody, and we get to this. Why? Because even though I'm confident, I'm Pastor Lot, I'm approachable because even though I my head's up, shoulders back, I still see you. And I still see your needs and I still see your hurts and I still and that's important. So as you're walking, whether you're a Daniel or a Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego or whoever you are in life, you walk head up, shoulders back, but at the same time you're equal to everybody but you're lower than nobody. That's all. I've never met anybody better than me. Never. But I've never met anybody I was better than. And that is a balance that you have to walk in all the time to be confident. David has this. David is this incredible guy, but you look throughout his entire story and he's never just, just rubbing it in old people's face. He's never just... I'll give you a story, show it. It's not in this one, it's in... But when he's running from Saul, and two of his men, his mighty men, hear David say, oh, if I could just drink some water back from back from the old well and back from the old well, man, that would be so great. And, and those, those men fight their way, get the water, bring it all the way to him. And David's holding the water and they're like, drink it, man. You deserve this, drink it. David looks at it pours it out and they're like what are you doing he said no 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 i ain't putting myself there i'll pour it out as an offering but these men are the great men that's that's the key that's the key I'm not saying that any of these things are hard. That's what makes David so... And when we see the story of Bathsheba and we brat, you know, beat him up like, Oh, David, but you got to understand he's carrying all of this. He's got all this ability and all these skills. And he can use it for good or bad all the time. And, then, and then it's like he keeps himself focused until that one moment with Bathsheba. He's standing up and the Bible says when he should have been at war, he decided to hang out at the house. Bad idea. For a guy who's always looking for a battle... He found one, two doors down. Wrong battle. But that's how God made him. When carrying yourself, a conceited person is always nose up. They don't want to get involved or sense too much of what's going on around them. They don't want to be too much in the details. They may say, "I'm, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you but that's about as far as it's going. You just got saved. They're probably not the one that's going to do your discipleship for eight weeks. They don't want to get too much in the minutia of, of life. They just want to hit the high points. They're not moved by others hurt enough. And it goes back to what I said. They, they can't be vulnerable enough very hard for them to be vulnerable to let down hey me too here's where where I am here's where I struggle here's where is this okay I want you to see David this conceited person has to hide prejudices and pride and weak personality problems and 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 they just being real is hard Because being real means you get to see me. And I don't even know if I like me. That's what makes Facebook and Instagram and all these posts and all this stuff so horrible. Because you can put that image out there and you can hold your image when people really don't know who you are. Success, number four. A confident person understands that work, hard work, others, and God's gifts. So what got you to where you are. If you ask me, Pastor Lott, how have you got to where you are? Hard work, gifts that God has given me, and abilities that He may or may not have given you. And then others. Can't get anywhere by yourself. Took a lot of people. A lot of great people. I preached about that the other day. The the apostles of this church 20 years before I even got here were already praying and speaking and believing. and That's who I stand on. You don't get anywhere by yourself. There's no such thing as no self-made man. If that's the case, he would have died at six days old because he couldn't have changed his own diapers. There's no self-made man. The conceited person struggles because... If you ask them, it's just, I've worked hard. I've worked hard. And many times, and this is the funny part, when you hear their story, you'll usually find out they're the ones who worked the least. They either got something happened or, or, or got the right situation or the right circumstance. Most of them will not take, you know what? For the last 45 years, I worked hard to get to where I'm at. No, they didn't. Most of them would take. Man, I got lucky on this break right here. I found something right here. I, I, mean, I got my little brother doing pretty good in life, but his whole thing was because he was a coach making thirty thousand dollars a year, very successful. He ended up having two, one child who was, had issues, caused him not to be able to coach. He's in Cleveland, Tennessee, Mississippi. He wanted to be closer to home. He took that job, got closer to Cleveland, Mississippi. He's got a child he has to deal with, has to be home more. He's dealing with all this and all the structure and all this. And he's like, this coaching ain't working. So in Cleveland, Mississippi, he happens to meet a man who owns a construction company. Duh. Terrence ain't got two nickels to rub together. But he talks this guy into funding him for the whole building and he starts his first spinners. He worked hard for 47 years to get there. No, He didn't. No, He didn't. And God with us works the same way. The problem is with conceited people, they don't admit all of that. They want you to think, it's all my hard work. No. if you ask me, how did all seasons get here? Hard work, God, and a lot of others. And the funny of the stories is what's so crazy about the others. Nail guns that never owned a nail gun, and they bring them up here. I use my nail gun. I need to tile floors, and somebody bought me a book on how to tile floors. That's a lot of help. It worked. I learned how. Third bathroom I messed up. I got it right. I can tell you all these funny stories. Now, mine did take 30 years to get to here. But here's the thing, whether it would have took five years or 30 years, it's remembering that it took others and it took God and it took those unique gifts that God gave you. As long as you remember that, you can be confident. I'm confident I can tile a bathroom now. I'm confident. But don't let it become more. Why is this important, Brother Lot? Because let's go to 2 Samuel back there with me. And let me put this to a story for you and I'll wrap us up. Are you seeing David differently? Are you seeing yourself differently? This is a struggle, isn't it? It's Much easier to look at David as just this larger than life, got all this... He's a guy. He's a real guy. But I want to show you his heart is what makes the difference and what holds him together through all of 1 Samuel, through Saul, through Jonathan, through, through battles, through people chasing him, through zigzag, through everything you're going to read about David. Even as you go into the new one, uh, 2 Samuel, here's what makes David who he is. And let's find out. 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. And David was afraid. Look at the person beside you and say, He was afraid. Now that sounds so strange because I've just shared about this guy who who is, how how do you, what do you mean he's afraid? Well, one of his mighty men has just died. David comes up with the idea, we're going to bring the ark or the covenant of God back to back to uh, the city of David, and, and we're going we're to roll it in, and it's all going to be good. And he bought a brand new cart and had brand new wood and did everything and said, this is the way we're going to do this, and it's all going to be good. And when they did, he forgot one thing. You can't touch it. And Uzziah, while it was bouncing on the trailer, he reached to put his hand to try to steal it, and when he did, immediately God kills him. And here David stops everything and what was supposed to be a celebration is turned into a funeral. And now it reminds him, be confident, but don't be conceited. So David is afraid again. It's good to keep that balance all the time. God loves me, I'm scared to death of him. God loves me, I'm scared to death of him you can keep that balance going all your life, you're going to be good. You get that, God loves me, God loves me, God, you're going to be in bad shape. Or if you're, God, oh, I'm just scared of God. I don't even want to try nothing, God. You're not going to work. It's got to be balanced. God is God. He's mighty. He's power. There's things He's set up. Don't break them. Don't mess with them. Then there's things God says, if you do what I ask you to do, man, I'm going to be good to you. Keep the balance going. Why is this important? Because notice, and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Now this is kind of funny. I know y'all read through that and you're just like, all right, you got to understand, David wants to get... Because his heart and compassion is to get the ark of God back to the people of God. Let's put it back in the city of David and let God's blessings flow again, and let's get back to the way. Wonderful. The only problem is somebody got killed. It scares David. So what does he do? Now, if you you read it real quick, you're not going to get it. But Obed-Edom is a Gittite. Obed-Edom is a Philistine. He's not a, a Jewish person. David is so scared, he takes it and says, let's put it in his house. <laughs> he is a Gittite. He is not an Israelite. He is not a, you can do the research later. But, but he's a Gittite, he's a, he's a Philistine. And so David's like, I don't want it coming home with me. I don't want it coming back to my house. What are we going to do with it? Well, there's a Gittite over there. Let's stick it in his house and see what happens. And that's what David does. And for three months, David sat up there. I wonder what's going to happen to that dude. Man, last guy I touched he died. I wonder what. The, I mean, they got it sitting up in somebody's bedroom. Just sitting in the house. And you got to understand that he's a Gittite, so people that come visit him are not Jewish people. So you can imagine somebody walking in his house like, what's that box over there, dude? Ah, the king of Israel. He told me to keep it in my house. What is it? I, oh, that some kind of sacred box to them. I don't know what it is. You got to understand he he doesn't know. This is not this has nothing to do with him. And yet at the same time 3 months later listen to what happened. so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to the city of David but put it in obed Gideon Edom the Gittite and listen and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-edom the Gittite 3 months verse 11. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So here's this guy that knows nothing about God, and he's like, I don't know, ever since they brought that box in his house, it's been going good. Cavs been, me and my wife have been getting along. I mean, we've been getting along. I mean, everything about my life has gone good since they brought that box in here. That's what, that's, that's what the Bible said. My whole family's blessed. Even my cats and dogs like each other now. I'm telling you, everything's going good since they put that box. I don't know what that box is, but I'm glad they brought it here, and I'm not going to mess with it because everything's going good. (laughs) And the the Lord remained in the house for three months, and the Lord blessed over it. Now think about it. He killed one guy for touching it, and here's a guy that ain't even an Israelite. He's a Gittite, and he's just blessing his socks off. Let me tell you something you'll never do. You will never figure out God. You will never figure out God. God can take a story and just make it humorous. It's like, why'd you do that? There's certain questions I'm like, why would you do that? Probably because he's like, David was too scared. He'd never come got it if I hadn't blessed the guy. He'd still be sitting there to the day. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. He's like, forget that. I'm not blessing him. I want to be blessed. And So he goes down there again, but this time he does it right. He takes everyone with him. And listen, and when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which is just the outer garment. A a linen ephod is just a common... I know it can be ceremonial by the Jewish priest. It can be different things. But a linen ephod is is just a, a garment. It's a common garment. And so it was always used at different times. Sometimes you could go and put it over your head to pray. You could do different things. But he just takes this linen ephod and that's what he puts either over his clothes or, or takes his jacket off and does. We don't know. We just know that David just gets loose as a goose. And there's no steps to this dance. He just starts with all of his might. He starts to dance before the Lord with everything he's got. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought of the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, recall the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Listen to me, whether it's your brother, whether it's your wife, whether it's, I told you last week that Jonathan, and I know that probably rubbed people and they were like, well, I can't believe he said that, but sometimes your wife won't be the one, sometimes your husband won't be the one, sometimes your next door neighbor will be the one that, you two. I thought I was the only one. It's very hard and very rare, and it's very special to find somebody who loves something like you love it. But when you do, great things can happen. Jesus found 12. And one of them was bad, but it was enough. Willing to give everything they got for what they loved. I call the daughter of looked out the window and she despised him in his heart. Now you've got to understand this is a this is a you would hope that this love affair had gone differently. Remember the story? David was supposed to marry her older sister. But on the two days before the wedding, Saul gave her away to make David mad and try to get him to say something bad where he could kill him. So finally, there's his other daughter, and he says, I'll give you her. But you've got to kill so many Philistines, and we know he killed twice as many. So he, he marries her. And, and, and the Bible says she loved him, and he loved her. And In fact, when Saul was coming to kill him, remember the last time we hear about a McCall in a window, she's letting him down a window because Saul's men are coming to try to kill him. But a lot's changed since then. David has been on the run. Saul gave her away to another man. And this man was a man who didn't have the same kind of passion or dreams or ambition or anything. In fact, we kind of get a picture of him when Abner later wants to make recompense with David. David tells him, well, Abner, here's what you got to do. you got to go get my wife and bring her back to me. So Abner goes to the house and gets McCall and loads her up on a horse and says, we're going back to Daddy's house, your husband's house. Well, her husband now, the Bible says, he just follows behind him crying. Ah, I can not believe you're going to tell you, man. And, he just, and she kind of likes this guy because he's kind of a wimp. He's not like David. He, he's, not, he's not driven. He's not. So there's an animosity there. I, I'm leaving this plush place where I got this guy kissing my hand every day. And here again, I come back to this guy. And all he loves is God. And all he wants to do is dance. I hate him. And they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Notice this now. He blessed them in the name of the Lord of hosts. He uses this same phrase when he talks to Goliath. You have defied the armies of God, the Lord of hosts. David in his mind sees himself as a soldier in the army of God, but yet God has this enormous army who's got his back. That's a good study. The Lord of hosts. And you'll see him use it again here in a second. And distribute among the people, all the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women. He gave them a piece of cornbread, because that's what it is, a cake of bread. In the South, we call it cornbread. He gave them not 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 a muffin, not a bagel. He gave them cornbread and a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one of them. Then all the people departed to each of his house. Can you imagine? This is David. Imagine what they think of their king. Saul, this guy that walks around in all this armor all the time. And here's David, half stripped down, sweating. Man, we have had some fun tonight. Linen ephod's all he's got on. Handing out cakes and handing out, hey, y'all have a good, I'll see y'all tomorrow. We're going to worship some more tomorrow. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Go get some rest. You better get some sleep. Girl, I know you can dance. I've seen it tonight. I'll see you tomorrow. And he sends them all away and sends them back to their house. And David returned to bless his house. Think about that. He was coming home happy. Him and God were doing what they were supposed to do. And he walks in the door and bam! He don't even get his shoes off. You ladies, I'll tell you, y'all smart. Y'all know how to do it. Don't even give them time to get to get breath. She doesn't, man. She's, she's like, I can't wait till he walks through that door. David returned to bless his house on his McCall, the daughter of Saul, notice he never calls him David's wife here. It's always the daughter of Saul, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. She didn't wait for him, she's just coming on out and said, "Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today." She basically says, "Oh, what a spectacle you were today, man out there dancing with half your clothes on all him." People watching you. Oh, not just any people, but 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 not just the servants, but the maid servants, them little bitty nobody servants, them ones that clean the toilets for us. That's the one you were out there dancing with. They're just nobodies, and you were right there with them, just like some nobody yourself. And you would think, good husband would say, "Baby, look, I'm sorry. Right, look, you pick me some clothes out tomorrow. We'll, we'll do we'll do better." No. And David said to McCall, verse 21, It was before the Lord. That's his answer. I didn't do it for you. I didn't do it for them. I never have. And I never will. I didn't fight Goliath for you. I didn't go through all my life killing lions and bears for you. I didn't do this for me, for you, for anybody. But everything I've done, I did it because I did it in front of the Lord. I may not have done it all right. I may have made some mistakes. I may have bundled some things. But it's all right because God liked it. And God accepted it. And God ain't give up on me. By the way, it was before. Go back to verse twenty-one. It was before the Lord who chose me above your father. He, I mean, He doesn't cut a notch, buddy. He just looks at her and says, "Let me tell you something, Miss so- Daughter of Saul. It was your daddy that God rejected." Was your whole family that God said, I don't want none of that bunch. You can kill them all. I don't want them. It was me that God said, I'll take that man. So just remember, it's me that God's honoring, not you, not your family, not your princess, not any of that. Man, he doesn't let up. It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his house to appoint me a prince over evil Israel, the people of the Lord. Notice how he keeps going. He has a cause. He has a purpose. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Verse 22. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. He said, you look out the window tomorrow and you'll see something. You just, you better go ahead and just write your next thing. Because let me tell you something. Tomorrow I'm going to do it better. And I will be abased in this is a misprint. If you go into different translations, it doesn't say in your eyes. In the original, that's the Greek. But in the Hebrew, it's in my eyes. Why is that important, but it can be either way? If it's your eyes, in other words, I don't care what you think. If it's in my eyes, this how he says, I will be abased or I will be lowered or I will be less than in my own eyes. That's the difference between comfortable in your own skin and conceited. I don't do it for a show. I don't do it because you like it. I don't do it. I do it for the Lord. And you know what? If God says, the lower you get, the bigger I get, then let me tell you something. I'll be lower tomorrow than I was today. I'll be lower tomorrow. If that bothers you i'll just get lower but by the female servants of whom you have spoken in other words those those maids that you take clean the toilets and and, and ain't nobodies and everything he said let me tell you what's going to happen remember i told you when you're comfortable when you're when you're confident you realize that you don't have to do it he says let me tell you what's going to happen when i make myself low those same people that you keep calling nobodies, those will be the ones who brag on me. The same ones that you say don't amount to anything, those will be the ones that shout my name and say, that's a good man. By them I shall be held in honor. Then we read one of the saddest scriptures. You'll read. And McCall, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David was coming home that day to bless them. Because God can do that. But because he couldn't do that God says I don't deal with conceited David I can deal with confident, but I can't deal with you sticking your nose up at me this is the story of David now every other story you read about David will wrap in in this you have to take what I've said tonight and wrap it inside the very story that you're going to read next. It could be about Bathsheba. makes it simpler when you understand that his, his wife that he loved, Micah, the one that he came to bless, blasted him out. And God said, ain't going to be that one. Not saying it's right or wrong. That's not what I'm saying. We know it's wrong. But the fact is, we can understand that David is this driven man. David is this force of nature. David is this, I'm, I'm moving toward God. And God's like, We'll get there. Will you stand? So what does David teach us? What does David show us? David shows us that if we will take the skills, the gifts, the hurt, the disappointment, and let it mold us into the person that God designed us to be. Not to cause us to, to become awkward or withdrawn or dislike God or hate what God's done. or But just realize that if anything happened, God had to pass by God. That all things work to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That helps me because when the enemy says, well, if you were just this, or if you just were that, if you didn't have that flaw, or you didn't have that He could wear me out. But when I can know that God knew my flaws, my shortcomings, my my bend, but He also can say, I knew the gifts I gave you too. I knew every gift I put inside you. And if you let me, the gifts I have put inside you are more than enough to make you victorious. That's what we learn from David. It's not your father-in-law that makes you. It's not your wife that gets you there. It's not your friends that die along the way. It's not the people who upset you or the problems that happen to you. It's falling in love with Him. And falling in love with Him so much that you allow Him to live through you through all your life's experiences so that He can write a story about you Even you, Kenneth. He can write the story of Kenneth Warren and make it beautiful. That's the power of God. Using all of your skills, your abilities, he writes a beautiful story, Kenneth. That's what David teaches. So when I have those days where I'm like, am I off course? (laughs) Lord, I've missed it somewhere. God's like, no, Tim, just keep running. Keep pushing. The story ain't finished yet. There's a Solomon coming, there's a Messiah coming. You won't die here, you'll live way past this. That's what God wants you to see. You pray with me, Father. I don't know the heights and how far each one of us is to come. I I know what we can do together. I see that right now as a church, and I'm so thankful. But I don't know in this building who's going to be the next Billy Graham or the next great singer, the next great that's. But God, I know the heart that it takes. I know the heart that You say it takes to be able to sustain and to not only grab hold of whatever it is, but to not be able to let go of it. God, my prayer is today, just like David that day when he blessed all the people. He blessed every one of them in the name of the Lord of hosts. God, I speak that same blessing over this people that in the name of the Lord of hosts, the one who is the captain of the armies of God, the one who never loses a battle. I declare, God, that what you put in them will be coming out. That the dreams, that the visions, that God have come from you and that have been established in your throne cannot be stopped. That marriage, that family, those kids, that job, that breakthrough, that miracle, it must, it must take place. Because you cannot lose. That was David's strength. God, I claim it upon my people today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. we give that old devil fits.